0: So Luke 14, verse number 15. If you have that, say, praise the Lord. All right. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto them, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind." And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper." Amen. We started talking two weeks ago about the missing piece to revival. We skipped last Sunday, and I'm picking up today right here. And uh, I appreciate you standing as we read the Word of God. You may be seated. God bless. Real quickly here, I will go back to that initial thought that I, that I had in talking about how nice it would be for everything in our lives just to be provided for us, that, that, that we didn't have to do anything uh, to have benefits and blessings and provision for us. It would be nice to just sit around the house when you wanted to and and not feel any sense of obligation or responsibility, and, and all the bills be paid, and, and and the kids be in line, and the home uh, just intact, and everything fixed. But, but we know that this isn't the case. That if a marriage, if a home, if parenting, if a career any of those things are to be successful, then someone has to put forth an effort. Someone has to stay on task and refuse to let all of these things uh, get by them. It requires work. Everybody shout, work. And in our text, we, we find several things of interest, but two things that that stand out more than anything else. The first that I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, was the fact that there was a dinner that was prepared. There was a party, if you will, that was set up, and people had been invited to this, but when the time came for them to show up, it was one excuse after another. Someone saying, I can't because of this, please have me excused. Another one saying, I can't because of that, Please have me excused. And, and the third saying, well, I just got married I, and, and I'm going to leave the rest to you to try to figure out uh, why I'm not there. He said, I have married a wife. And I said just, but I'm not sure that it was just. He just said, um, I'm married. And I married a wife. And enough said. He didn't even say, I pray that you'll understand. He just assumed... You understand, I don't know how long they had been married, but I do know this, that from these excuses I mentioned to you that possessions can be an excuse that many people use. And vocations can be an excuse that many people use. And thirdly, relationships are often excuses that people will use. The first said, I bought a piece of property I need to go see it. Possessions controlled this individual. And so uh, they were making excuse. The the next individual said, well, I've purchased a number of, of oxen and I need to go prove them. And so have me excused. Our vocation will sometimes become an excuse. And then the third saying, well, I married a wife. Relationships can quickly become an excuse and I and, and I explained that so I'll not take the time to go into it all today other than just to remind you that if you use possessions vocations uh, or relationships anyone or all of those as an excuse why you cannot commit to something greater in the things of God, don't be surprised if what you gave your life to is quickly taken from you. Or if you uh, lose that, don't be surprised because He will not allow us to have Any other God before Him. He will not allow us to have anything else in front of Him. If He's not first in our life, He will not be in our life at all. And so, I have seen people use their careers as an excuse. And what they felt secure in, quickly taken from them. I've seen people use possessions. I need to take care of this. I have to... Go look at that. And I've seen people lose those things quickly. I've seen relationships that others thought were, were intact and nothing was going to shake them. I, I've seen how relationships crumble and surprise individuals. I don't ever want to use possessions, careers, vocations, or relationships as an excuse when God is calling me to something greater. Amen. So the call went out, come, because all things are now ready. And, and it, one individual after another can't do it. But I, I pointed to this, and I'll come back and make reference again. As you read in the, in the opening part of this, the Bible tells us that uh, this, this excuse, these various excuses in the end, just came to Him as excuse. One excuse, in consent. All all giving Excuse. It wasn't like God will just uh, look at them and, and, and reference to this text, look at them individually and say, well... They, they meant well, and, and, and yes, I'll approve that, but not approve the other. And yes, it was their job, but it wasn't their job. And he's not picking and choosing who, who, what was legitimate, what wasn't legitimate, what was real, what was truthful, what was dishonest. He's not doing any of that. He just simply sees it as an excuse. You've allowed something, right, wrong, good, bad, you've allowed something to be an excuse. And that's the way He sees it. Sometimes we, as parents, we're trying to see our children and justify, well, they meant that, or that one didn't mean... It. He doesn't look at it that way. To, to God, it's just an excuse. And then, uh, from that, I went on and talked to you for a little while about this uh, command that was given. And the command was to go out. Go out and bring people In. Go out and find them. Go out and get them because there are people close by that need someone to go out of their way to get them and bring them to uh, the supper. And and I talked a lot about this, and, and I really don't want to go back over it today. You can go online and listen through the website on the podcast for the first part. Then said, "...the master under the, of the house," verse 21, "...being angry, he said to his servant, "'Go out quickly into the streets and lanes.'" He commanded him, "'Go out into the streets and lanes of the city.'" And bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. He said, go get people. And these are the people that I want you to go after. And I talked to you about how there are some people who cannot help themselves. There are some people will, that will never be able to get to the supper uh, unless you and I go bring them. That it requires us to go and do whatever it takes to physically get them to the supper. Uh, we, I gave reference of the men who went by and picked up a friend and they took him to where Jesus was. Had, had those men not gone by and picked their friend up, That man would have never been able to get to Jesus on his own. There is a segment of society that will always be with us. I said it, Jesus said it, and I I referred to it. He said, the poor you have with you always. And and, and so he's saying, "There, there will always be a segment of society that you can go get. They will never be able to make the journey on their own. So you have to go bring them. You have to go out of your way to make sure they get to where Jesus is. And if you don't do that, they will never be able to help themselves. We can easily slip into the mode where we can say, if they want help, you know what... Uh, They'll have to help themselves, show some initiative. And when they start showing that, then I'm willing to get involved. There are some people that will never show the initiative. They don't have the capability to show the initiative. You have to go out of your way to do whatever it takes to bring them to where He is. And that that saying that people often use, you know, God God will help people that help themselves and... That's, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, <laughs> that may be the 11th one that you, you wanted in there because it was it an uh, inconvenience to, to go bring them. And I talked about uh, people that fill up vans and fill up buses and fill up cars and do whatever they can with individuals and get them. That's all part of it. And, and, and the church should see that and be willing to do whatever it takes to help people who cannot help themselves. And, and God will bless you for that. But, but that's where we stopped two weeks ago. Now, I want you to know that this isn't the only part of it. Okay, There's another part that I want to move on to for just a little while. Now, he said this going going farther, and we we can get in this waiting game, and I mentioned this, and maybe you can reference or at least know or you're knowledgeable of places where it just seems that a church uh, leadership A group of people are just in this waiting game with God. That if we just wait long enough, believe long enough, pray long enough, hold on long enough, that all of a sudden... God is just going to give us a mighty influx of souls. And if we just keep showing up and opening the door, one of these days our church is going to move from a handful of people to this enormous amount of people because God's going to do that one day. And there are people who for decades have been in this waiting game thinking that God is just all of a sudden going to turn this whole thing around. When the truth of the matter is... God is waiting on us to go out and bring them to His house. And if nobody is going out and bringing them, they will never show up. So those churches, those pastors, those leaders, those individuals, those group of people will no doubt just stay where they are numerically and little by little they will decline over the years. People will die people will move off, people will backslide, and all of a sudden the church that was at this place waiting for this influx of souls will be smaller than it was decades before. Just thinking that God's going to do it. When He said, everything's ready, go bring them. There has to be a portion, a part of all of us that... Leans toward being a bringer, bringing people. You will meet people that you can extend an invitation, but that invitation will result in, you know, I'm working then. Oh, I've got, I already had this on my schedule. You know, my kids have this to, what are they saying? My vocation, my possessions, my relationships. They'll do the same thing because all of these other things become an excuse to get to where he is. So the invitation was given, hey, everything's ready. Come on, you're going to enjoy this. Well, it was an excuse. It was an excuse. It was an excuse. So so the master of the house says, Well, just go bring. I know there are people out there that will come if you just go bring them. And so go into the streets, go into the lanes of the city and bring in, he names them, the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. But it doesn't stop here. Doing just that isn't enough. Somebody shout, Amen. When you go to verse 22, we see this evidenced in, in the response. The servant said, Lord, it is done. We did it. We went out there. We, we got the poor. We got the main. We got the halt. We got the wither. We got the lame. We got, we got everybody that you said. We went into the streets. We went into the lanes. We found people. It's exactly like you said. And, and, and we brought them. We did it, Lord. It is done as you have commanded. Notice Notice that this is not a divine suggestion. God doesn't suggest to churches, go evangelize your city. He doesn't suggest, go get people. He doesn't suggest, go bring people. He commands us to do that. And so if churches are not doing that, and if people are not doing that, they are breaking the commandment of God that said, go bring some people. Well, we just don't, we don't, we don't relate to that segment of society. Well, we we just don't have time for that. Well, I just don't get where it doesn't matter what you don't relate to, what you don't get, what he said go do it, and because he commanded it, I have an obligation just to look for opportunities to bring people to the supper. And everybody shout, Amen. So the Bible tells us in 22 that the servant said, It is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. He said, We've done that, but there is still room. It's as though he felt like he was off the hook that we did that, and so the servant said, It is done just like you commanded. There's room, but the Lord said, You're not done. See, see, we can feel like I'm done and he be in the position of saying, no, you're not done. Well, I, I, I went and I brought people. I went and showed compassion to the poor. I, I went out of my way. I, I took them to dinner. I brought them to a service. I did, And so I'm, I'm free now. And he's saying to the servant, no, you're not free. And the Lord said, go out into the highways and hedges. The first time he said the streets and lanes. The second time, he could have said the same thing, go back to the streets and lanes, but he said go back to the highways and hedges. There's a big difference in those two uh, references of streets and lanes and highways and hedges. I don't have time to preach that whole series, but I could preach a whole series about streets and lanes and highways and hedges. It's a completely different segment of society. In one segment of society, you have people who cannot help themselves. In the other portion of society, you have people who can help themselves. You have people that are not poor. You have people that are not maimed. You have people that are not hot. You have people that are not suffering that way. But you have people that are still in need. But they're at a different place of society. And what works for one of them will not work for the other part of society. And as the church, we have to get to the place that we realize there's not just one blanket statement that can take care of every situation. But He said, yes, you reach them, but you're not done now. You go now to the highways and hedges. And notice what He said there. He said, and compel them to come in. Why? Why? that my house may be filled. Previous verse, the servant said, it's done. We brought them. We found every individual we could. And we brought them, but there's still room. And he said, you're not done then. Go now to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Amen. So the church The church has to wake up and realize, and I'm talking about us, that there is a group that can and will do it on their own, but somebody has to take action and compel. Shout, compel. Come on, shout it again. Compel. Compel to challenge them, if you will, to actually do what they're capable of doing. One group cannot do it, and so you bring them. The other group can do it, so you compel them. You challenge them to do what they can do. The other group, you do it for them. They'll never show up unless you do it for them. The other group will refuse to allow you to do it for them. They will never respond to that. And so you have to compel them to do it. One, you bring. The other, you compel. It's completely different. And it works differently for both segments of society. And somebody shout amen if you know what I'm talking about. Amen. I want you to understand it a little bit bit better. You and I are responsible to bring and to compel. And when we talk about revival... We can fall into the category that some are in of just waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on God. Or we can wake up and realize that you and I may be the missing piece of revival. The missing piece of revival, church growth, expansion in the body is simply people that just say, I'm not going to compel anybody. I'm never going to talk about my faith. I'm going to just try to make it to heaven myself. I'm never going to go out of my way to get anybody to the house of the Lord. You are a missing piece of revival. And you're not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. If you want your family saved, do something about it. If you want your friends saved, do something about it. If you want your neighbor saved do something about it if you want your community reached do something about it don't just sit back and say well God's going to do it one day God's going to do it one day God's going to do it one day God is saying go out and bring go out and compel he's giving us that responsibility compel simply denotes to put constraint Upon, when you compel someone, you're not physically picking them up, loading them in your car, bringing them to the supper. You are putting constraint on them. You're constraining them, whether by and this is this is definition in the dictionary. It says whether by threat, entreaty, force, or persuasion. Whatever you have to do, you do that to say, I'm compelling you to get to the house of God. I'm compelling you to give your life to the Lord. Well, I just, I just feel uncomfortable doing that. Tell the Lord that, not me. Well, I just don't think it, it really should require all that. You know what the Bible said that Jesus did with his disciples in, I think it was Matthew uh, 14, chapter? He said, the Bible said he constrained them to get into the boat. Now, he, there's a storm coming. Jesus forces them to get in a boat and go into a storm to get to the other side. Jesus did not give them an option of not getting in. But did He physically pick every one of them up and put them in the boat? No. But He put such pressure on them that they said, we're getting in the boat. This must be serious. He he means what He's saying. He entreated them. He persuaded them to get into the boat. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what they did. Saul of Tarsus, he strove to make saints blaspheme you know what the bible said about saul who became paul he forced people he constrained them he labored if you will in their life to force people to blaspheme before he ever became a preacher he put such pressure on people that they blasphemed their very faith i mean that's extreme this is the same word. This is the same interpretation. To, to, to take it to that level to understand that, that Jesus is saying to us, this isn't a game when you compel people. This isn't this kind that, hey, if you ever get around to it, we got a great church, you ought to come hang out sometime. That's not the kind of approach He's saying. He's saying you get so desperate with people that you're threatening them. You have to get here. Really? Really? I thought we were just so supposed to just be nice and never say anything and just let our light shine before men. By just, you know how you let your light shine? By being serious about what you've experienced and what you have and desperate to let people... If I had a family member that, that, that was suffering with some sickness and I had found out there was a cure for their sickness, do you think that I would just suggest to them, hey, you know what? You could feel a whole lot better if you'd go see this doctor that I went... You know what I would say? I'd say, listen, you're getting in the car and if you don't want me to take you, I expect you to drive your car. Here's the address. I'm going to meet you there and we're going to be there at 2 o'clock because I'm tired of all this stuff going on in your life. And here's your answer. What would you do? You know, your family would be like, oh, like, okay, yeah, I'll meet you there. But you wouldn't say, you know, have you ever thought about feeling better? That's what he was saying. You, you compel them. You compel them in such a way that you're not giving them an out. You're not giving them a way to just say, well, at some other time, I'll get around to it. Saul of Tarsus strove to make saints blaspheme in Acts 26. He compelled, uh, the Bible tells us about Titus, uh, though he was a Greek, was he was not compelled to be circumcised. When you study this out, you have this Jew and Gentile back and forth of what they had to do and what they couldn't, and they were trying to force upon this individual to to take a stand in the Jewish faith to have something done in his body that would prove his religious stand and they could not constrain him to do it. Because he was telling them what you're missing is circumcision no longer is about the flesh, but it's about the heart. It's about the cutting away of the flesh, of the heart. So there's there's, there's so much in this that when you begin to get into it, you have to realize that compel isn't something that you just passively say, you know, you ought to consider living for the Lord. No, you get so passionate about it that you literally get involved in people's lives and, and you do everything you can to compel them to make this change. As a Gentile... And uh, You don't have to become a Jew to be saved, is what they were saying. And, and, it, and it goes on. I, I was looking through some of this stuff and found it quite interesting. Paul was constrained to appeal to Caesar Uh, He he was constrained to do this. You have to defend yourself. You have to speak up and say why you're doing what you're doing. You have to tell him what you believe. You cannot just sit around and act like everything's going to work out. You better come to your own defense. You have to do something. Appeal to Caesar for some mercy. Try to get out of this situation, Acts 28. And was compelled by the church at Corinth to to become foolish in speaking about himself, they said you 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 gotta get off your pedestal. And you have to do whatever it takes. If it makes you look foolish in the eyes of people and and people assume that what you're saying makes no sense at all, then you're going to have to quit worrying about who mentored you and who educated you and who helped you and what kind of name and tribe you came from. They were telling Him, you better do something. What were they doing? Constraining Him. But constraining says they were compelling Him. They were desperate about, this is your life on the line. This is the gospel. This is the church. This is about it going forward. You've got to do something, Paul. This wasn't just, well, if you... You know, we have a great church. you ought to consider Christianity sometime. The missing piece to revival is those that take it to heart and go beyond just bringing people, but they get to the place of compelling people. That it eats you up inside if you're not passionate about telling people that you can't just have a casual conversation uh, with people when it comes to the things of God, but you have to go the extra mile. You have to truly pour your heart out and let them see what th- this, the change that has come into your life. But in both cases, when you deal with people, can I come back to it and say this? It takes work. You can't just sit back at home and say all the bills will be paid and the family will be raised and the marriage will be good and the career is successful and in spiritual things say I'm going to be closer to God but never pray and never read the Bible and never worship and never give. No, it takes work for any of those things to happen in your life and for people to come to God. It takes work. It takes work to bring them. It takes work to compel them. And if you're not willing to work, you will never see lives changed. Never. It'll never happen. Might as well forget it. Don't pray about it. Don't think about it. Don't discuss it. Don't fantasize about it. Don't dream about it. Because it never happens without work. Somebody has to bring them. Somebody has to compel them. And in the bringing and in the compelling, there's an amazing thing that transpires. Amen. I believe, and and really even since the beginning of time, we know, we know that there was a command given to, to Adam. you got to go do something with what i blessed you with. You've you got to go tend to this. You, you, I'm giving you an opportunity to be involved in this. You can't just sit on the side and do nothing. Listen, you, these, these objects and these animals and these plants, and all, they need names, and, and, and you got to do something. It's a part of who we are. Nothing productive, nothing lasting, nothing worthwhile ever comes about by doing nothing. There's a a Scripture that talks about, if if you can't see it in humanity, just just look at the ants. I mean, the most insignificant, small, if you will, little (laughs) life-giving. See how they work? See See how they toil? See what they do? See how they're about it? See those things? I mean, have you ever just observed I I used to observe ants when I had a magnifying glass because I wanted to see what the temperature was when they started smoking. But anyway, that's beside the point, and I was quite young then. But you get a magnifying glass just right, and the angle's just right, and and you get in one of those lines, and you'll you'll see, you'll see these little guys working. And there's like leaves, like a leaf this long or or something on their back, and they're just going along. You're like, man, what? They're working. They're working, they're toiling, they're getting ready. There's a purpose there. But we sometimes as human beings just want to sit on the sideline and say, well, everything's just going to... It's not just going to happen for you. And neither will it just happen for the church if there's nobody bringing and nobody compelling. The church will never grow. The church will only implode and drift away, if you will. It takes work. We have to put forth effort. Uh, Too many people are just sitting in churches missing the key to pleasing God and their own spiritual growth and advancement because they're not willing to put forth the necessary action. They're not willing to do what it takes. And and here's something important that that I don't want us to miss. This is what He said, okay? And, And I want to read it in verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, I don't want want to shake your theological foundations, but I do want to challenge them for a moment. If we're not careful, we will only be motivated because they're poor, because they're What did it say? Maimed, because they're halt, because they're blind. Sometimes we're willing to do stuff because we see the condition that people are in. And we're moved by their condition. And we want to do something about their condition. And we call that compassion, sympathy, if you've been there, empathy, all of those things. And so we're motivated because of a difficult circumstance. And then on the other hand, there are times that uh, we go to people and and it's just simply because we want them to be saved, right? Because we have a knowledge. One is we see their, their physical condition. The other is we see their spiritual condition. And we know that they're facing eternity without Him. And so we're moved to oh they're lost, they're distant as as the uh, pop culture church world now they're far from God because they don't want to say they're lost and going to hell so they're far from God. They don't want to say they're sinners. They're far from God. It's much more politically correct in the pop culture church world today. Say so they're far. Well, Whatever you want to call it. We're moved when we know we have family and loved ones and friends and people that are facing eternity without God. We're moved on that side for those people. And we're moved on the other side by people that have needs, physical needs in their body and we want to do something about it. But in all honesty, if we were really moved perpetually by those things, We would not be able to drive by one red light, one stop sign, one hospital, one rehab center, are you hearing me? We would not be able to do one thing but walk in every one of those places, pull over every day, stop at every light with someone saying, we see someone lame, we see someone downtown, we see someone in the street. And because they're poor, because they're hurt, because they're physically limited, we would, oh my God, i got to do something. You know what happens after a while? We just drive right on by. We walk into the hospital and see the people we're that we're going to see, and we pass room after room after room after room with poor, blind, halt, withered, dying with cancer, heart disease, everything else. And do we run in every one of those rooms? Oh, oh my God, oh my God, I gotta do something bad. I can't believe this condition. So if you think you're gonna make a difference simply because you feel sorry for someone, we're human enough. To get to the place where we just don't feel sorry for some people. Would you have any money in your bank account right now? Would you be living in a home, driving a car? No, you'd give everything you had, sell everything you have, hock everything you have, and just, "Uh, I gotta help these people. So don't get so religious that you think the that I'm telling you, you gotta feel sorry for people, and then you'll do something about it. I preach to churches all over this country that are filled with people that have never brought one person to church. Much less hundreds, not one. On the other side of that, just because someone's lost, we think, I'm just burned for the world. What are you doing about it? Well, people are lost and they're facing eternity and they're going to die and they're going to blah, 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 blah. If that really mattered to us, do you think we could sleep at night? Do you think that we could go throughout, through our everyday and say, oh, eternity, all these people are going to spend eternity. What am I going to... We would drive ourselves crazy and we'd get to the place where we just cut Him off. You'd say, well what they choose to do if they want to die lost and we get so cold and distant and far from the reality that the, just out of this room the hundreds of people thousands of people that just this group has influence on right now if you were really serious it's because it's because they're, they're lost it's because of eternity. You know what happens in the church? After a while, we just are doing what we can to make sure we get saved. I just want to hear Him say, well done, and we forget about everybody else. So, so here's, here's where I don't want to mess with your theology too much. He didn't say, He didn't say, just because they're poor, go get them. And you feel sorry for them. Just because they're lost, and you realize the severity of eternity... Go do something about it. You know, why he, you know why He said, go get them? He said that my house may be filled. Are you, are you serious? So we lose inspiration because we just don't have sympathy anymore. We lose inspiration because we're just tired of dealing with people that, you know, some people just, we can, we're convinced they would rather go to hell then go to heaven. And so what am I trying to do? They're they're happy with what they're doing. They, They don't have any intention on changing. You know what? We can just write them off, but this is what He said. What we're not able to write off is when we look next to us and there's an empty chair. I can't write that off. Whether I feel sorry for somebody or not, whether I'm concerned about their eternity or not, I can't be happy with empty baptismal tanks. I can't be happy with empty altars. I can't be happy... With empty chairs. I can't be happy with empty pews. I can't be happy. And that's what he's saying. Go get them that my house may be filled. When he looks around and he sees this today, it moves his heart. There's an empty chair. There's an empty room. How many churches today think they're pleasing God and their buildings are as empty today as they were the day they built them? And they think because we showed up at church and we sang our religious songs, and we went through our motions that God is happy with us. When He sees empty rooms, He said, I want my house filled. I want this room filled. I don't need a sad story to compel me to do something. All I have to do is look around and see this gym isn't full yet. I'm not done. This community center on the other side is not filled yet. I'm not done. Are you hearing me today? I don't. Well, we just need to see the people around us. I know they are there. But I'm human enough to tell you that sometimes I don't feel sorry for them. I do know that I have lost family and lost friends, but that doesn't always move me, because I've been dealing with lost people for 35 years trying to compel them. I've preached until my throat has been raw. I've preached until I went home and spit up blood. I've preached until my body was broken, and I've ended up in hospitals. i preached until my health was broke. I've preached until my sanity was almost gone and seen people do this. I've given up friendships. (laughs) I've given up a lot of things. You know what moves me? Not all that. Because people come and go. Same people that said oh, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. We're the same ones saying, crucifying a few days later. I've dealt with enough people to know when people say, I love you, that just as quick as they tell me they love me, they can turn around and stab me right in the back. You know what moves me? When I see an empty room that He wants filled. When I see empty chairs that He wants filled. When I know that there are folks out there and He's saying all you have to do is be the peace in this that I want you to be. You can't save them. You can't change them. You can't fix it. You can't turn it around. But if you'll get them to where I am, I can fix every situation in their life. Are you hearing me today? You are the missing piece to revival. And it can't be something that you just take lightly. And I take lightly. It's something that I'm moved by day in and day out and I'm driven by it all over and over and over and over again. I want every ounce of Sunday school space to be filled. I want every ounce of nursery space to be filled. I want every ounce of youth space to be filled. I want every place inch of this building to be filled. It drives me. Why? Because that's what He wants. He said that my house may be filled. That's what God wants. It isn't about all of those other things that sometimes... We get so we we put everything into that. And as quickly as we get a burden for the loss, we lose our burden for the lost. As quickly as I feel compassion to help somebody, I lose it because I'm human. But I can't get past. I can't get past there being room and us not doing anything about it. God to realize there's room for people right here. Amen. Anybody ready to take responsibility? Let's take responsibility. It motivates me. Don't live in that um, world of thinking that all of a sudden, if we just keep showing up, that it's going to happen for us. In most situations, Let's stand together. You and I. You and I are the missing piece to revival. Now let me get real plain. Let me get real plain with you, okay? This is only, a, this is only an estimation in my part, okay? But I, I think I would be cl- fairly close. If we believe what we say we believe. If we believe what we say, we believe this Bible teaches. Then in a city of close to three million, if you put all of the apostolic, Pentecostal people together, numerically, I'm going to be generous, and say, you may, all of the churches, all of those who believe what we say we believe. You put us all together in this city of three million. You may, you be hard pressed, but you may come up with twenty five hundred. You know that 10% of 3 million is 300,000. You know that 1% of 3 million is 30,000. Do you know that 1% of 1% is 3,000? That at this point right now Not 1% of 1% of this city knows this truth. There's a whole lot of empty buildings in this city that need to be filled. God help us. God help us. God, help me to be a bringer. Help me to be somebody that's not afraid to compel. Not afraid to be bold. Not afraid to say whatever I have to say. Not not be backward about it because we are quickly running out of time. God, help us to realize that He wants His house filled. And every one of us can do something.